Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. My guest back by the woodpile today is Chico Perriman, the Director of Human Empowerment and Leadership Programs, an organization dedicated to the research, design, and installation of safety management training programs for compassionate verbal and physical intervention techniques. With all that in mind, we're going to talk about the problems and complexity of not only domestic violence, but the less talked about phenomenons of aggression coercion, intimidation, and manipulation both in and out of the home. Mr. Perriman starts out by talking about his role as director at HELP. What I do for a living currently is I um, provide training and um, staff development courses dealing with uh, aggression and workplace violence. I don't hear much about that. Was workplace violence a common thing that happens? Enough where people are paying for seminars? Workplace aggression, which may not necessarily be violence, like the physical act of hitting someone, you can be aggressive at work and not be physically violent. So when I say violence, I'm actually just clarifying the language I'm using, which is that uh, when, when I say violence, people are being... They are, they are physically touching and hitting someone. So give an example of workplace aggression. Workplace aggression would be anything that creates an uncomfortable work environment in a way that a person may feel threatened or intimidated. Yelling at a person, using profanity, using threats to have them fired or to somehow ruin their reputation or, or a position that they have at work. Anything that causes a person to feel threatened or intimidated. Now, that's a pretty subjective thing. I'm going to play contrarian with you a little bit. It seems like if someone is a little bit sensitive, maybe, someone who likes drama or likes to, or just doesn't like another person, they can assert that, hey, I feel threatened by that person because fill in the blank. And, And it'll be something that they'll say that I don't like what that those words he uses even though they may not be cursing or I don't like the way he looks at me he or she is that a problem that you have to deal with sometimes that's an interesting point it's a great point actually I'll tell you at an organization that I work with before you could actually report workplace uh, aggression you had to be able to point out what steps you took to try to either correct this problem or to remove yourself from harm. So put um, some personal responsibility. Put some personal responsibility on the person to say, I don't like that. Yeah. Because sometimes uh, my interpretation of what is aggressive, the person who is doing this, that person might not know that they are being aggressive or that it, it feels aggressive to you. So you got to communicate. And some people, personality, whatever reason, fear, you know, they don't feel comfortable with confronting the person that is being aggressive or being offensive in some way. But I think that what needs to happen when that is the case is that a company needs to not only do in-services and staff development for how to be respectful and avoid offending and threatening and harming, making an uncomfortable workplace but they need to train people on how to take personal accountability you know train people on how to speak up for themselves train people on how to confront things that they even see someone else doing to someone else which i think in that case i would suggest that it be check with the person to see if they find it offensive before you report anything because Mm -hmm. people tend to you know some people are people who won't take any responsibility for seeing inappropriate behavior in the workplace and then there are some people who consider themselves sort of workplace police and so an in-service would sort of help balance those out and give people some guidelines. Maybe this is a sensational question but have companies come to you where they had an actual incident of violence? How did it go down? Well let me tell you this first. Most of the companies that I work with they provide service to 
clients and consumers that are aggressive. Um, it could be people who provide community mental health. It could be organizations that provide community mental health for drug abuse and um, oh, okay. domestic violence and things like that. But I have worked with some companies. So these aren't just, you know, run-of-the-mill companies. So well, some have. That's what I was about to say. That's not the bulk of the folks that I work with because of the nature of the work that I do. Because there's a communication component, there is a documentation component. Okay. Then I do get workplace clients who okay. say, "Okay, we're having, we got some tension in the office, and people need some guidelines on how to." And usually, it's uh, places that have large people in in small smaller spaces a lot of people like manufacturing call centers things like that where people could be in contact mm -hmm. with a lot of other coworkers and you know and things could happen but generally you're consulting companies that are more higher risk i would say absolutely they actually are one of the reasons they exist is to help people uh, not uh, be aggressive and to help people to become more more functional okay. in society without the use of aggression. We've talked before, and you've given me quite an education. You told me at, when we talk about domestic violence that there is two different categories. There's domestic violence and domestic terrorism. Is there, or is there more categories than that? No, it helps a little bit to think of it like there's intimate couple violence, and then there's your classic domestic violence. And I, I say that because when you say domestic violence, people think about the original definition of domestic violence, which is stalking and physical violence and coercion, could be some sexual uh, aggression, and those types of things. And those things happen with absolutely no, uh, I would say, no no triggers or no... No good reason, so to speak. No, yeah, it's, it's all irrational. Right. The, a person who is engaging in domestic violence can't talk about an actual problem with the relationship or in the relationship mm -hmm. itself. They can have thinking errors. And they, they could have mental illness. Mm -hmm. They have problems uh, with their cognition ability to, to interpret. Outside the relationship, they have problems. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. That's just a part of probably a disorder that they have. It could be that right. this person ha doesn't have any rational mm -hmm. focus for their aggression except to coerce and manipulate the okay. person. Well, and maybe I'm confused, but so you'll have to clear it up, which is good for people listening who don't know anything about it either, or just as ignorant as I am. But I remember you saying that there's a difference between what you just described, where violence is just like an everyday part of their life, or you know, uncontrollable anger, and the occasional flare-up. Like, because something has happened in the relationship, either partner or both lose it, and they may you know, hit each other, or they may you know, break a window or something. Describe the difference and the terminology and why there's a difference. In intimate couple violence, that term is designated for couples who actually have some problem. Maybe, let's just say, for example, a couple has a problem with some financial issue, some serious financial issue. It could be over over the use of a, of a credit card or something. And it's already been a fight in the past for this couple to try to deal with this issue and it's just escalated and it could escalate it at a time where you know there are some other risk factors maybe the couple has been drinking or maybe you know there's just other stressors going on but they decide that they're going to deal with the uh, credit card issue and it escalates to a lot of things flying out as couples can do hurtful things and then before you know it someone is either leaving or someone is becoming physical. As it starts out verbal and then becomes physical, it could be for so many different reasons. It could be that one person is trying to terminate the conversation after they said something very hurtful, mm -hmm. and then the other person is like wanting to say something back or wanting to be heard, and it could be something as simple as grabbing the person and then a struggle ensues, and then before you know it, this couple is in mm -hmm. some physical thing. With the domestic violence, the classic domestic violence or domestic terrorism, as you pointed out, the person could just come home and their spouse could just be doing a regular task 
and they could find something. Maybe they found uh, a hat on the table that they don't recognize, and that person would immediately create a crisis over this hat, mm-hmm. accusing the person of, of something. Whose hat is this? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Who's been here today? And then literally get violent because they choose not to believe the person. Or they have, again, they have the, the potential to be, you know, have some thinking errors mm-hmm. and, and um, mental illness or some mm-hmm. sort of disorder. And so they escalate pretty quickly and become violent and aggressive. And I don't know if this is, again, because of my own ignorance or it's just how it's presented. Again, off occasion I watch the news and they may talk about some kind of domestic uh, aggression or violence or terrorism. But I don't ever hear them make a distinction. So when you see about some guy you know, punched his wife, you think, oh, that guy is in this, this one category. And there's the only category that I know of. So you're saying there's a difference. There is a difference, and the problem is is that um, the designations, whether they are recognized or not, is probably a political thing. You know, okay. well, it's kind of hard to... Well, let's talk about that. Why would it be political? If, if the truth is the truth, who has some, something to gain from it? Because that's usually the, the nature of political. I don't know. The answer to that, I can tell you that when you look at the definition of domestic violence, uh, what constitute domestic violence, you have to consider this. You have to consider that domestic violence needs to include power and control as a a factor. And And give an example of that. In a domestic violence situation, one person in the relationship may try to prevent another person from working and having a job because then that person would have more independence. They would be able to pay for things and, of course, be able to uh, make decisions on their own. So a domestic perpetrator would not allow that, would, would try to sabotage that for the person. That is a clear case of domestic violence. And here's what's interesting about it. Even though there's no physical it violence. It does not have to be physical oh, violence. Okay, that's interesting. That's important. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it's important is because coercion, power, and control have the same effects psychologically and emotionally as the physical violence. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially have a person who is with someone who is very controlling and very coercive, and that person would be suffering depression, anxiety, and fear, and all of these things, even if they have never, ever been physically assaulted. Now you gave me an example of, a, I think, a woman that you maybe had given some advice to where she was practicing this uh, domestic terrorism, I guess you would call it. But I'll let you tell the story, but to remind you, it was something like she was putting Viagra oh, yeah, yeah. or withholding it or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell the story. Yeah, she would give her husband uh, Viagra um, when she wanted him to have it. She and wouldn't she would... just put the pill in his mouth? No, I don't know how she did it, but she would give him a pill... Uh, without his knowing that he got a pill. Clearly illegal. Um, and she so, admitted this. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. She thought it was, and this is classic domestic violence, she actually thought that as his wife, it was her right, you know, to distribute these Viagra when she needed him to have them. That was a clear case of pretty severe and illegal power and control. But that can't be the only thing she was doing. because if- No, she, she wasn't. She's was probably reading his mail. I know she used to check his wallet, things like that. And here's what's interesting. At some point, they did get in a physical altercation. The police got called. He slapped her in a in very intense and heated fight and argument. The police got called. He got in trouble and had to leave home and was arrested and then, then had to, to leave home. But then she later admitted, because she did not want him to be gone, power and control, that she was the one that hit him first. Oh. Just looking at phones and looking at the emails and all that, I've heard it said, especially by women, that that's a right that they should have, even if the, the husband doesn't know about it or doesn't like it. What say you? I say that it is every bit as coercive, controlling, and manipulative as, say, keeping someone from having a job or giving someone mm-hmm. uh, a pill without their knowing. I think uh, an invasion of privacy, not respecting your partner's right 
to share things with you when they feel that the time is right. It's the same thing. And what's interesting is our society doesn't acknowledge or try to balance uh, these behaviors. Sometimes those behaviors precipitate problems in mm-hmm. couples' relationships, which may turn into domestic violence mm-hmm. situations. There are some men from kind of the old school that just kind of like throw their hands up and go, well, you know, you know, I do what she tells me to do kind of thing. But there are some men who resent this a lot mm-hmm. and consider it a violation of their their own personal rights. But society, just like sexual abuse, there was a time, it's, it's getting better, but there was a time where the only sexual abuse that was regularly and pretty much consistently reported was sexual abuse of older males to younger females, underage females or female that did not want to engage in a sexual act. And it hasn't been that long now that women are now being held accountable for having sex with younger boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it used to be their coming-of-age moment, you know, which is kind of weird. It's just viewed differently. And I think about, uh, you know, most young guys, you know, that's like the ultimate, you know, dream come true. But but, But but, is it? Well, I mean, in your head, in your fantasy, but in reality, and I know I can think of one guy in particular who was was deflowered by his babysitter. Mm -hmm. She was, I think, in her 30s, and he was maybe... 12 or 13 and he he still brags about it but I can see the damage I don't think he sees it yeah but that's the point Mm -hmm. and so what what you have there is you're saying that a child can consent to having a sex with an adult who coerced them or manipulated them into the act the reason it is abuse is not just because of the act itself it's because of the knowledge and the ability of the person who convinced them to do it Mm -hmm. and the way they did it that has an advantage over, say, another 12-year-old, mm-hmm. a 12-year-old to another 12-year-old, unless that other 12-year-old, unless one has been abused before mm-hmm. and sort of figured out this level of manipulation, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know. They would they would work it out as 12-year-olds would work it out. We don't want 12-year-olds to have sex, but mm-hmm. sometimes they do. They have this experience together. But if you have a 30-year-old talking to a 12-year-old, doesn't have much of a chance in terms of trying to navigate Mm -hmm. this so where i was raised and i was raised in rural midwest a man never hit a woman and if he did he was a coward and sometimes he got his ruin taken out by some vigilante group or something and even if the, the woman had you know, done some serious damage to them, they never hit back. You know, they could maybe defend themselves or maybe restrain, but that was the only thing that was ever accepted. But you were a coward if you ever hit a woman, regardless of what she did. I think even in society, the general society at large, we do give a pass to women who are violent. Uh, what's your take on that? Will that ever change? Well, I hope it does. As a society, I think we're not focusing on the right question. The question is not who do we give permission to hit who? which is what that kind of is like. The question really is, should we allow aggression and violence as a way to solve problems other than protecting yourself from harm? And I believe that uh, it is a tall order to ask a person who might be getting assaulted not to protect themselves. There are people who, like myself, who work in a field where they know that potentially they may be assaulted, but you learn things, you learn skills, you learn communication skills, you learn we're educated. I I have to be trained, Mm -hmm. try to talk my way out of a situation that feels like it's going to become aggressive. Mm -hmm. And if not, if I'm still attacked, then I have to be able to respond to that attack in a way that I'm not engaging in a fight, Mm -hmm. just a restraint situation. So couples and people who are in relationships, if it is discovered that they're having problem-solving issues that involve aggression, then they should be trained. They should be held accountable, not through incarceration, Mm -hmm. uh, because they're going to get back together. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the thing that we know. That's what the research shows. And so why not help these couples? Why not do something to help them? The issue is it's just a lack of skill. Mm-hmm. They, they may come from a place, come from a um, background where they 
didn't have exposure to uh, functional, healthy problem solving. I, I think again the knee-jerk society reactions. You know these mobs with the pitchforks on social media and on the TV. If a man hits a woman ever, he's forever put in a category of unredeemable. But you work with men or women and try to help them become redeemable, I suppose, or at least work through, not uh, use violence as a way to express themselves. Right. The folks that I work with or the folks that I train organizations to work with, they, they actually have mental illness. They have disorders. Some of them have pretty severe disorders mm -hmm. of the brain and they have things that are going on and or they have substance abuse and things like that so their judgment and to be able to perceive a situation let's say something was done a person who's not generally a violent person but they were provoked maybe verbally they just lost it and they made a big mistake of hitting the other person or doing something violent you try to help them yeah they want to be helped many of the situations that are reported many of them are reported it's a one-off thing they, they don't have a pattern the, the the cops haven't been called and then there are those that do have a pattern where the cops are called fairly regularly for a fight but still what you have there is a couple perhaps a couple who is uh, got some uh, problems some financial problems Maybe the couple is uh, lack of education. Or maybe they have abuse and neglect in their background. So many things. You have to look at the person. Um, if you've ever seen those shows, uh, Cops, mm -hmm. uh, where they always go in and even and even comedy shows made fun of it. The classic person is always someone who who is, seems to be pretty poor mm -hmm. and um, poor language skills. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that, even the comedy shows always point to like little statements they make that really don't have anything to do with solving the problem mm. they're talking about and then sort of this bizarre jumping back and forth about loving the person to hating the person mm -hmm. you know and the cops try to take them away don't take them away mm -hmm. please please right it's like that uh that's it, real life stuff maybe it's a stereotype but it does seem like you never see like a domestic you, never, disturbance they, in yeah, belmead or yeah. <laughs> well they never show you going into uh, a gated community with a big giant half a million dollar home or, right. or, or better to you know a home that where a maid is standing in the corner looking afraid while the couple is <laughs> you, you never see that right. but it would be fun to watch it would be a a funny, yeah. in a comedy and it's yeah. not that, that rich people aren't capable but it, it does you know I work in a lower income government assistant population with children and, and of course I have to deal with the parents sometimes and you can't help but see you know, people make terrible choices daily, and you see why they stay in poverty. Mm -hmm. You know, do you see that too? That the violence somewhat stems from terrible choices. Yeah, but when you start talking about poverty, you're you're really talking about uh, layers and layers of of issues, mm -hmm. and so it's difficult because there's so many problems that you have to solve mm -hmm. just to start getting at the issues mm -hmm. that affect the ability to help a person elevate right. their economics. But you are, you're, you're definitely correct in that. When I do, for instance, when I do the workshop that I do, we have a section that is designed for looking at the person who is being aggressive because we have a, the mob mentality society. This person hits someone, so light your torch and mm -hmm. let's go after them. Right. But in the workshops that I do, we basically uh, take a look at what are some just some overall reasons why a person might engage in violence to solve a problem mm -hmm. and those often include and I and I don't I don't say these things I put that question to the group that I'm training and they consistently they come up with poverty consistently they come up with past abuse themselves mm -hmm. consistently they come up with neglect, um, they come up with all these things that that really address a person's uh, deficits, mm -hmm. the things that they have gone without, a lack of language skills, which is a big one. A person who can't express their points and their their needs verbally mm -hmm. because they have a lack of education or because they have some disability. And to be clear. Because, again, I, I just think about my own work situation. It depends how you look at it. Because some would say, well, they're only that way because of lack of education or something. But 
I can tell you from the personal stories I know, they chose not to accept the free education that was offered to them, you know, because again, poor choices or, you know, they wanted to party, they wanted to have a good time, you know, that, that type of thing. So it's, it's just different ways of looking at that. Well, guess what I'm trying to say is I find very few victims. I used to think that way. I used to think that they were all victims, but when you find that you just can't help but see the patterns of their their own self-sabotage. Again, that, that becomes really complicated mm-hmm. because I was listening to Eckhart Tolle. He was doing a lecture. I was watching it on YouTube. And he said that if a person makes choices unconsciously, then are they making a choice? Mm-hmm. The point there he was giving is because the conversation was about a person's background and how a person was put together. Mm -hmm. So if you came from a home where education wasn't valued Mm -hmm. or you were shot down for trying to uh, excel above your your status. You're selling out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You're selling out (laughs) or just simply there was some fear. Mm -hmm. There was a person who was a domestic perpetrator in the family somehow and and there was some fear in you gaining power, autonomy, independence. So all of that was going on. So then when you finally get free, you still don't have the skills to accept or to make those choices. You don't have the brain to to interpret the choices as being uh, useful. Domestic violence occurs on both sides. It's just different. Men uh, tend to be physical. They tend to hit and become physically aggressive quite a bit more. Well, actually, they are primarily the ones who do the hitting. But women tend to uh, do coercion and manipulation in the relationship, which is also violence. In many ways, you can certainly consider it passive-aggressive behaviors. In domestic violence, there are things that have nothing to do with physical engagement, like if you are uh, a male or if you're a person in the relationship that is the money earner, if you withhold money and use money to manipulate the person, to coerce the person, to remove the person's independence by, you know, by how much you give or take, uh, you're committing an act of domestic violence. Is that really the right word, though, violence? It is a feature of domestic, because you are using coercion. Mm -hmm. You are using coercion and um, control. Mm -hmm. And so that is considered domestic violence, because you could be keeping this person from some of their basic needs, food, Mm -hmm. uh, the ability, so, yeah. But also using intimacy in the relationship, Mm -hmm. using children, like turning the children against the other. Yep, withholding contact, using the children, those types of things. And there's a lot of things that are not just the hitting. The hitting is it's the thing that people focus on. But sometimes uh, you've seen these shows where there's some character, some obsessed character or some aggressive character who is doing things in the background and you know, and manipulating people to, uh, to harm another person. And before it actually gets to the murder part, which is the scariest part to everyone, there's a whole series of things that this person's doing. You know, turn this person's support group against them and all this kind of right. stuff. Yeah, and it reminds me of like elder abuse, which I have a family member that the children, I think they took away her phone rights. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, they, they took over her house and they took over her bank account. You know, they, they took over everything, and she just pretty much wakes up, watches TV, and goes back to bed. And that's all she's allowed to do. They'll claim that they're protecting her because she can't get around on her own. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes she she's paranoid probably for a good reason at this point, mm-hmm. but maybe doesn't see things clearly, at least according to them. And I tried to help. I tried to get involved, and I tried to help her. But in the end, she couldn't go against her son. Right, right. And right, it, it broke right. my heart, and I thought, well, there's nothing I can do. There's organizations that will like do sit downs with everybody involved or you know mm-hmm. that'll help elders have their rights how do you deal with or do you deal with that when you see something clearly wrong and they claim they want help but then when you say okay let's do it let's let's get this thing remedied and then in the end blood becomes thicker than water or however you say that yeah 
just my own personal opinion, and this is, I think that that type of coercion, aggression towards a person is, is the worst. When someone hits someone, it's, it's pretty obvious and it's kind of out there. It brings well, the then problem. the law has to get involved, right? Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. brings the problem to the surface. But oftentimes a person is being abused in their home with someone who is a trusted or was a trusted caretaker or a person who was a trusted person in an intimate relationship. And the law is not designed in a way that those issues are, are looked at. It's almost as if, and this is something that is frustrating about uh, abuse and neglect, it's gotten better with children when children don't have to report abuse and neglect. Oftentimes children don't even know if they're being abused or neglected. Mm -hmm. Some adults, some onlooker have to say, oh gosh, this is not right. Mm -hmm. But adults have very little protections in that way. And we always think that an adult should be able to, if they're having a problem, they should be able to go tell someone themselves. Otherwise, they're an adult. Leave them alone. They're responsible. They're over 18. But that's a problem because that adult could be afraid of this person who is committing these acts of abuse uh, or neglect. Or that person, they might not have any understanding mm -hmm. as to what their rights are or, or what it is they need to report mm -hmm. if it's not something like a simple like hitting so it's tough because then that person can endure this uh, neglect and abuse for years mm -hmm. and nothing happened uh, and and what's what's terrible is by the time you discover this kind of behavior or these kinds of problems with adults they have suffered years of emotional abuse and stress and and anxiety so so you've got a breakdown of, of their emotional health as well as potentially some mental problems but then the problem usually if it surfaces like that uh, where the person is showing some real serious signs of deterioration in their emotional state then it's probably been pretty severe pretty terrible life As we are sitting here talking, it's been a big year for a lot of accusations by men in power, mostly men. There's been a few women. Harvey Weinstein being the, uh, the first to go down, and then Kevin Spacey and some other ones, Al Franken, some other people, other politicians and movie moguls and news personalities. I, I think Harvey Weinstein is not the first. He's the first here recently, but Anthony Weiner. Uh, oh yeah, went down. Well, I meant as far as this landslide, and, and then, yeah, this yeah, the exactly. snowball thing. Here yeah. Recently, well, yeah. I mean, if you go back, there was Bill Clinton. In fact, in the the Congress, there's actually a fund put aside to pay off. That says something. <laughs> That's awful. I mean, and, and taxpayers are paying for it. You know, I ask you because you could take this at face value as like, well, this is horrible, and and it's good that these guys are there's some kind of consequences, uh, especially with these, you know, the the uh, rape and some other things. But at the same time, I, I always get a little suspicious because when all these people coming out of the woodwork, are some innocent people going to get hurt in the process that maybe didn't actually do this? Or what, What's your take on that? How do we, as consumers, assess what is true and what is not? I think it's hard to say. I think it's an important issue to look at. I think it's an important question to ask. Uh, the problem is, is that we've got this old idea of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And that's bad on both sides. There's uh, problems with society's expectation of women and what their roles are. But also, there's problems with women's image and their uh, beliefs about what it means to be a woman. And the same for men. There are, mm -hmm. there are problems with what society expects from men and what men are supposed to be. And there's also problems with what men have, how they've identified themselves. And those two things clash, mm -hmm. especially now in a world who's trying to say women can be in the military. Mm -hmm. Women can be CEOs of large companies. Women can be in powerful positions to rule and run countries. Mm -hmm. But... In order for that to really happen, we have to get rid of the separation of the sexes. And if we don't do that, it's not going to happen. Obviously, there's a clear difference between a man and a woman in 
just physical. Yeah, but it's perhaps a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's a religious question. Uh, for others, it's a social question. And I think that those things are going to keep us debating this until, until so, the end of time. You said something kind of profound, I thought, about society as seeing women as the victim all the time. And like it was really selling women short. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. I think that when society sees women as victims, then it automatically implies that they are powerless. There are some women who have picked up on this and and decided to say, I am not a victim because I can speak out for myself. I can protect myself. I can use the laws. I can use the system to protect me or to at least be aware that I need some help and support. But on the other side, you have some movements where those movements really do sort of highlight the victim aspect of these situations. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people asking some legitimate questions. I don't think abuse and sexual harassment is right at all, but then there are people asking questions like, why didn't these women report it sooner? Uh, again, it is a question that, you know, if we push it under the table mm-hmm. by saying that's blaming the victim or that is taking the focus off the issue, then we really can't get at solving this problem. Well, there's just the legal problem of unless it's reported almost immediately, there's no physical evidence. Well, I believe strongly that you have to be proven guilty to be convicted of anything. I mean, it yeah. can't be a lot of hearsay. and. I say that with total sympathy because I understand it's when something that terrible happens, you're stunned, obviously. But at the same time, it opens up the door for a lot of innocent people, men or women, to be thrown into prison just on hearsay. I had a friend who, a woman, who said, why did this woman go? Like uh, there was a situation with Russell Simmons in the news when, when the media reported it. They said they went out to eat. And then they, she told him to take her home, and he took her to his apartment. And she got out of the car, and she went up to his apartment, and he offered her a drink, and then made a move on her and mm-hmm. tried to force her. Or maybe he did force her. I, I don't know what the outcome was. Right. But there are women who are saying, why in the heck did she get out and go into his apartment? You know, how come she didn't discover sooner that this was probably about to be a... Yeah, I think someone said something similar about the Harvey Weinstein. They, yeah. said, they said, why did they go to his hotel room yeah. and so, not think that something so, was going to happen? So, so there are a lot of women who relate to being a woman mm-hmm. or, or who are sort of putting mm-hmm. the woman element in this and saying, and some of them, they can't speak out mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a real radical movement mm-hmm. of feminism going on right. and they will just get squashed by other women and the, then the noise will get louder about the, mm-hmm. the victim part of it. Mm-hmm. But these women are saying, why were you so, such a victim that you can say, no, I'm not going up to your apartment. No, I'm not going to have a drink while I'm in your apartment. Right. <laughs> or, or I'm going to just take my cell phone because yeah. I make... Uh, they weren't going up there to read the Bible. Yeah, I, I make $100,000 <laughs> a year, and so I'm going to call, you know, a cab or a limo right now to come pick me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did it go that far? I remember a few years ago, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders had written an autobiography about her life, and she talked about a lot of her problems she had had, and I guess she uh, inevitably had gotten raped in England, I think it was, but... She blames herself, at least the way I heard it portrayed, because I haven't read the book, uh, because she said that she was on drugs, maybe wandering the streets or something. She put herself in a situation, and a man took advantage of it, and she got, uh, you know, crucified. And she never backed off of it. She still says, you know, I, I put myself in that situation. I know she wasn't saying that any woman that puts herself in this situation deserves what happened to her, but right. she was saying that she played a part of it. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's a problem in society in general, and that is we really need to start with personal responsibility on all things. I've been, based on the standards that we have now, I've been probably sexually assaulted three times by women, at least. Mm -hmm. But I don't see it that way. But that, again, maybe society sees that as a man, or maybe society says, well, it was a woman coming on to you. You're lucky. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But the point is, I didn't want I didn't want these advances, but they happened. One of them was a, was with a client who I was getting a very large contract with their company, and she, you know, she made advances towards me twice, 
even after the first time I said, no, I don't think this is a good idea, mm-hmm. you know, it would really you know, raise some questions uh, about this whole contract thing if you <laughs> yeah. and I fool around or anything. She actually gave an argument and said, oh, like it happens all the time. Right. That was her argument, you know, and I was like, well, yeah, my company's not going to be involved in it happening, so right. uh, it's too risky. And then another time we went to a conference, the same woman, I thought we had an understanding, we went to a conference, and she asked me to uh, come to a room. Something in my head, I knew it was not a good idea. I did go to a room, but but it was only just to, you know, Anyway, long story short, I wound up having to leave. And again, all I can do, I don't look at her and go, oh, look at this woman. She's lurking. And, you know, I, I was like, you you knew better. You shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. It was just more of harassment. It wasn't like she, she didn't force me to do anything. Mm-hmm. She didn't force me to go to her room. Rose McGowan attacked Meryl Streep about her comments concerning Harvey Weinstein. She felt like Meryl Streep was being a hypocrite because she knew that Harvey Weinstein was abusing women. But then she came back in a tweet, or maybe she went public and said that it was one of the most disrespectful things to do. I mean, she criticized Harvey Weinstein. Yes, she did. She, She was disappointing and whatever. But I guess Rose McGowan's problem is that Meryl Streep didn't come hard enough with her criticisms. So she said, disrespectful, she said that it was illegal. That's what Rose McGowan said. So she was she was correcting Meryl Streep and saying, disrespectful, it was illegal. Right. And so then she proceeded to chew up Meryl Streep by, for saying disrespectful and, mm-hmm. you know, and called her a hypocrite. And so I thought this was not productive at all. And she accused uh, Meryl Streep of knowing that Harvey Weinstein was did, abusing women. Did she have proof that she knew? Her proof was that everyone knew and, oh. and you know, it was obvious and it had been being talked about and so there's no yeah. way that Meryl Streep didn't know. So uh, Meryl Streep came back and tried to say, I did not know. I did not know that he was doing it and furthermore, to what extent he was doing something like this. But, of course, this tweet was out there in the tweetosphere. And so it, it was creating quite a stir. Uh, people in who was backing up Rose McGowan and people who were backing up Meryl Streep. But I, I thought it was important to point out something. This is that situation where the dynamic now turned into victim versus person who is empowered. All that starts playing into it. So I tweeted this. I said, it seems that attacking women that quote, may have known about sexual assault, harassment, and didn't come forward would be the same or worse than attacking women who were assaulted and did nothing until years later. Mm. What would be the rationale for excusing either if attack is okay? So you're saying that because Rose McGowan took the money, took the payoff? Exactly. My point is, is that not coming forward is not coming forward, period. You know, if you don't come forward right away, that's understandable. If you don't come forward within a week, that's understandable. If you don't come forward till years later, how are you any different from a woman who just might be suspecting that abuse was occurring? Because unless you see it... Yeah, exactly. How can you really know for sure? Because people talk. Exactly. People start rumors. If you were scared and you actually was there, Mm -hmm. then how scary would it be for a woman who's speculating? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And so because then that person is actually kind of taking a risk Mm -hmm. to uh, accuse or to try to out someone. So they're taking on a Mm -hmm. huge issue, which they could be completely wrong about. Unless you went to that person and gave them that information, then you're asking a lot of women to uh, do something like that. If you suspect, have no evidence, though, then you need to come forward. So I think it's a bad area for women to get into, pointing the fingers, trying to decipher who is more of a victim, the woman who actually was victimized or the woman who might know about it or had some idea about it but didn't. You know, women shouldn't get into that. But it shows you how strong that battle of victims' rights is to the point that it is now flipped over to me to the non-productive side. That level of being a victim is actually starting to be counter to the plight.
to go to the situation where I think there's been, last time I read the news, or at least 97 men who have went down because of all the accusations. Uh, a few women, like I said, maybe two. People tend to protect themselves, businesses, and you know they don't want this to happen in their, in their situation. So I can almost predict that you know it would seem to be in a company's best interest to segregate the sexes. Back to how it used to be, really. Right. You know, right. you you rarely saw men and women working together. And that was by design. And even when there was a secretary, it caused problems. That's you right. know, because men they acted differently around her, or they would flirt with her, or, or maybe she would, you know, use that being the only woman there for, to her advantage. Mm-hmm. Do you see that happening with all this? I do. It's already uncomfortable. It has been mm-hmm. uncomfortable throughout time for men and women to sort of cross over into that place where they're playful with one another and they engage in it. It's almost like we are still metaphorically in the situation of boys shouldn't play with girls. Mm-hmm. You know, that is where we are. And mm-hmm. it's now intensifying. That rule is now becoming highlighted and we're getting back to it. Mm-hmm. Boys shouldn't play with girls. And I give you the, the simple example. When guys are in bars and there's a bunch of guys, you see all kinds of leaning on, touching on, mm-hmm. hitting each other. I was with uh, some friends that you know that one of the guys, we were all hanging out together and you actually know this guy. And And he was hitting people in the crotch Mm -hmm. and cupping people's junk. Mm -hmm. And they were just laughing and pushing him away and stuff. But that's what I mean. And guys do that. They Mm -hmm. just laugh about it. We don't have the same rules about what it means to be violated. I've seen women do that, too, to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, women do. They do it more sort of almost like a. they don't play Mm -hmm. with it, but it's like, you know, they'll touch each other's breasts and Mm -hmm. do things. But what's interesting is that when men do it to women or women do it to men, actually, if women do it to men, men don't really care. Mm -hmm. Uh, The truth is they care if they feel like there's going to be some weird backlash, Mm -hmm. either that if they don't respond, they will be you know, coerced. So what I was saying is I was telling a friend of mine is that I think that this is going to cause that gap to widen even more because now in an already situation where men and women are kind of uncomfortable and sort of don't know the rules, how to cross over to the other side and sort of engage that situation. Think about what it's going to do to flirting. Think about what it's going to do to trying to find out what the rules Mm -hmm. are for sexual engagement or if there's an opportunity for it. Think about what that's going to do. I just read yesterday, I think it was sweet, and they're considering for people that aren't married to have written consent for sex by requiring that from the woman. It's being discussed. Really? Really. (laughs) But I can totally see where that comes out of. I can see why. Uh, I can see why, but wow. It's not very sexy, though. (laughs) Not at all. Hey, can you sign this real quick? Not not at all. (laughs) Part of the fun and part of what's organic is that you sort of try to play out this scenario to see where it's going. That's how you find out. And I was joking with my friend, but maybe not joking. I said, now it's going to have to come to telling exactly what your intentions are and asking for permission to move in that direction, Mm -hmm. which is just... It's kind of creepy, actually. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to uh, take my (laughs) pants off. uh, Well, no, no, even start worse than that. I'm interested in kissing you. Is that okay? (laughs) Uh, Maybe. (laughs) You know, it's going to take away... No, no, there's no... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, so no, so initiating is becoming illegal. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what it's going to do to that. Right. And I can see in these situations where, quote, uh, harassment was done, that that was probably in the guy's mind what he's doing. He was, for whatever reason, uh, he was getting some vibe. Now, not every time. But for whatever reason, I bet you in many of the situations he was getting some vibe or wondering. Mm-hmm. And so he thought, okay, I'm going to make my move now. So he tried. Yeah. And then it was like, ah, you just harassed me mm-hmm. or you just violated me. And it's like, uh-oh. But you can't, it's almost like you can't know that until you actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you use verbals. In which case, maybe there was a chance, but probably not now since you asked it just like you would ask if I could have a piece of slice of your pizza. <laughs> you know? I desire your pizza. May I have a slice? <laughs> your pizza looks good. May I have a piece? 
It's hilarious, but I can see some people thinking, oh, well, that's it's better than the alternative, you know, of, of, of all this traumatic sense of assault and uh, or an actual assault too you know so well yeah and like i said you know maybe some some guys need to be taught uh how to move more subtly into the process maybe it's just a bad skills right. let's just start with a t- touch on the the lower thigh mm. the the just above the knee mm-hmm. or a squeeze of the shoulder or a putting the hair behind the ear to see the face or something like that see if that gets rejection and if yeah. it doesn't go a little bit more Mr. Perryman and I recorded these conversations at various times over the past year, and some related incidents came to light in the mainstream news cycle. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh was accused by several individuals of inappropriate behavior towards women, ranging from intimidation to participating in gang rape. But as I record this, almost every one of his accusers have recanted their stories, they admitting fabrication for reasons ranging from mistaken identity to blind political motivations. In addition, in the very different situation of Harvey Weinstein, whom has admitted to acts of inappropriate behavior, one of his six accusers has apparently not been totally forthright in all her accusations as well. My guest relays what he knows about this latter case and comments on when our rage sometimes wants to dismiss others' constitutional rights specifically due process. I'd like to say before I get started is that I, I don't know all the details, but I did talk with someone who is keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. And I made the comment, I said, so Harvey Weinstein's uh, situation, he was found not guilty. And he said, no, he wasn't found not guilty. It was that the evidence showed uh, conclusively that they were still dating when he was supposedly had either uh, forcibly or either uncomfortably engaged in unwanted sexual advances or contact, whatever it is. So the fact that they were still dating, that's pretty significant Mm -hmm. because then you have to sort of look at the context of what happened. And I think that that's, that's, that's a key component. I think that in all situations, whether it's men violations towards women or women's violations towards men, when it's relational, you, you, you have to look at that, which is why domestic couple violence, it's key to look at context and look at what was going on. One thing that has come out, probably with all these accusations, I would guess, but a lot of people are pretty upset, uh, women, it seems more, at least when you watch the news or when you see the protests and stuff, and they're saying, like, we believe survivors, no matter what you tell them, because people have tried to say, well, maybe there's not enough evidence that this guy actually did that, or but they don't care. They want, in their heads, justice. Maybe they've been done wrong themselves. Maybe it's coming from a place of anger. But I'm pretty sure they wouldn't like it if this was happening to them. You know, that if, on very flimsy evidence or, again, someone who's having a hard time remembering things and nobody can corroborate it. You know that they lose a job or even end up in you know prison or something. What do you say to that, and how do we differentiate? I try to take gender out of it, mm-hmm. and I try to take politics completely out of it because it has nothing to do with politics. It shouldn't have anything to do mm-hmm. with politics. But the way I look at it is this: I don't think that a movement like hashtag uh, Me Too it is going to have a long-lasting effect until we start looking at sexual assault, unwanted sexual advances, and coercion across the spectrum. It is definitely uh, inaccurate and not true to say that men are the only group in in the spectrum of of gender that make unwanted advances. Uh, There was a time where a woman could make an advance on a younger boy or be coercive towards men with property, money, whatever, to get property or money, or to have positions of power. The problem is that if you look at the times and if you look at the context, it was much more accepted 
that a woman could uh, expect that if she was in a position of power and she wanted to coerce a man into having sex with her, that that was, you know, it was not something people pushed back on too much. Uh, it just kind of happened and that was kind of it. And, and sometimes uh, if they were rejected, terrible things happened. People lost their jobs. Well, yeah, I remember for a little while there that feminists were calling that empowerment. Yeah. Like she's just using what she has and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. There's just so many ways that this needs to be addressed that I don't think that we are going to uh, get to solving it until we make uh, both sides accountable. I think that what it's starting to look like is that for whatever reason, uh, it, and I'm not saying that this is the case, and I'm not saying that I believe this. I'm just saying what it's starting to look like is that women are trying to push an agenda to get a, positions of power that may really have less to do with sexual assault than it does to have political power, maybe even some corporate power, things like that. Maybe this is a foundation being laid so that women could can get some of the advantages that they think that they have have been denied before. I think it and it works against them because, you, of course, you'll never get anybody to admit this, but either consciously or, or subconsciously, like if I was an employer and all this stuff is going on now, I'm, I'm going to have all the men work on one side of the building and if I have any women, they're going to be working over here because I don't want any chance of a lawsuit on me or them. Or, you know, or maybe I'm just going to hire one gender and that's that exactly yeah. exactly that's probably already happening but it's going to have to turn into another sort of another level of investigation another level of of uh, trying to uh, speculate i mean i'll be honest i've had friends of mine who are in positions of hiring they outright say i'm really concerned about hiring women now um, there are certain women that I that I interview now, and this is this is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. But he said there are certain women I interview now, and I, one of the things I try to factor in is the risk factor of them being the person who's going to bring some charge against right. the man in the company. I'm not saying that we have people in the company who I know will do these things. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, does this woman feel like somebody who yeah, might you, try to get? You'd a, be a dummy not to go on. Let's say you're thinking about hiring a particular woman or whoever. And you'd be an idiot not to go look at their Twitter account to see if, if she says something like, I believe all survivors or whatever yeah. the hashtag is now, you know? Yeah. The fear is actually the movement is perhaps setting us back some. It's not a good idea to start another movement that looks like a feminist movement without uh, addressing some of the issues that are problems for men. You know, there are very few very few male shelters for abuse, even though we know that um, female-on-male abuse does occur, and men are abused in relationships, and that abuse mostly occurs emotionally and psychologically, and that's just kind of tossed to the side. It's just kind of back of the closet. If a man tries to get some sort of support for that, it's much more difficult than all a woman has to do is say, hey, he hit me. And then, boom, everybody's going to, you know, come charge with all the, you know, all the support and all of the resources. But if a man says, I've been psychologically abused or I've been emotionally abused, you know, she's withheld my children. She has uh, told me that uh, she was pregnant when she wasn't. She has all sorts of things mm -hmm. uh, that, that women have done uh, to men that we think abuse is just uh, a physical thing. And it's not. There is a lot of emotional uh, abuse going on, coercion going on, right. not physical coercion with, you know, with sex, coercion with relationship stuff, coercion with children, those types of things. The question is how to get at that, how to give that equal focus uh, so that uh, everyone feels safe. That does it for now. If you'd like to reach out to Mr. Perryman, for help or more information regarding today's subject, you can email him at cperryman at capscanhelp.com. That's C-P-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N at capscanhelp.com. Also, if you'd like more stats regarding the frequency and nature of all the issues we've talked about today, go to cdc.gov. In the corner, back by the woodpile, it's produced by... A closet, a pocket, and a suitcase.
You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by looking up Spun Counter Guy. If you want to say hi or send us nasty words, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. And you can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and podbean.com. We'll see you on the flip side.